For the first time in Donald Trump's presidency, the Golden State Warriors are not the NBA champions. But like the Warriors who declined to go to the White House more promptly and definitely not so cordially disinvited in 2017 and did not receive an invitation last year, the 2019 NBA champion Toronto Raptors aren't going either. Guard Danny Green recently told Yahoo Sports Canada that while the Raptors are looking forward to meeting with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, they have no intention of visiting the White House. I got Donald Trump on line one ready to invite you to the White House. Give me your and the team's response to such an invite. I, I just don't think that we accept. Well, we put, didn't invite you anyway. To put it politely. Yeah, I think that's what I was going to say. Yes. And I try to respect everybody in every field that they do, regardless of how crazy the things are. But he makes it really hard. He makes it very, very tough to respect how he goes about things and does things. And it's, But I, I, to put it politely, I, I think it's a, a hard no. The decision to preempt an invitation makes the Raptors the 11th major sports champion not to visit the White House since Trump took office. Nine of those 11 are basketball teams, which is hardly surprising when you consider that the vast majority of college and professional basketball players are African-American. And Trump has made stoking racial animus the central pillar of his presidency starting with the false and bigoted birther claims he made against former President Barack Obama years before he declared his candidacy. It should hardly be shocking that Trump has managed to debase the recent tradition of sports champions visiting the White House, and that a trip to visit Trump is unlike any meeting any other team has ever had with the occupant of the Oval Office, save one. And that is the very first time a president publicly attached himself to the national pastime a virulent racist trying to stave off impeachment and win re-election after the Civil War. This is wrecking the toy department, where we won't just stick to sports because we don't have the privilege of doing so. Today I'm going to examine the history of sports teams visiting the White House, how the tradition started, how it became a staged television party in the 1980s when Ronald Reagan was president, the celebration of basketball was with President Obama, and how, in the past two and a half years, Donald Trump has resurrected its racist history. In August 1865, shortly after the end of the Civil War, Arthur Pugh Gorman, looking for a way to boost the gay receipts for his Washington Nationals team, invited President Andrew Johnson to a baseball tournament in Washington, D.C. Before embarking upon a career in baseball, Gorman was a page on Capitol Hill, where he became close with both President Johnson and pro-slavery Illinois Congressman Stephen Douglas. Johnson, for his part, spent much of his presidency pushing back against everything the Union had fought for during the Civil War. His first act as president was to undermine the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which outlawed slavery and indentured servitude, except by penalty of law. He did so by working with Southern lawmakers to institute the Black Codes, laws passed by Southern states, formerly of the Confederacy, to discriminate against Blacks. Early in 1866, Johnson vetoed two significant congressional bills, an extension of the Freedmen's Bureau, which was created in 1865, to oversee the transition from slavery to freedom, and the Civil Rights Bills, which defined anyone born in the United States as a national citizen would enjoy equality before the law. Among the civil rights bill's aims was to address the Three-Fifths Compromise, an agreement reached during the 1787 Constitutional Convention, in which three-fifths of the state's slaves would be counted when it came to calculating a state's electors, representatives, and direct taxes. 
The Civil Rights Act became the first significant legislation in American history to become law over a presidential veto. And soon after, Congress approved the 14th Amendment, which embedded birthright citizenship in the Constitution and was supposed to ensure equal protection of the law to any and all U.S. citizens. Johnson did not accept Gorman's initial invitation, but two years later, facing impeachment by Congress and looking for a way to bolster his popular support, he attended the Nationals' 1867 opening day game. Strangely, this visit benefited Gorman much more so than Johnson. Though Johnson survived conviction in the Senate by a single vote, he lost his 1868 re-election bid. Gorman, meanwhile, was elected president of the National Baseball Player Association at the end of the 1867 season. His lasting legacy in that position was encoding Johnson's racist views into the game of baseball. Gorman's first act was to ban African-Americans from membership, the result being that other than a few exceptions, there were no African-Americans playing the national pastime at the highest professional level until Jackie Robinson's debut at the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947. It would take nearly a century before the start of what sports fans have come to know as the modern tradition of sports champions visiting the White House, and it happened by accident. According to a 1963 newspaper report, President John F. Kennedy, a Boston native, found out the NBA champion Celtics were touring the White House the afternoon before a night game in Maryland and invited them up to the Oval Office. It was not until 1980 that a championship team made a public visit to the White House. During his re-election campaign, President Jimmy Carter invited the World Series champion Pittsburgh Pirates and Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers, saying in his speech, he naturally remembered the two teams when I began to think who, in the entire nation, would give me the best advice on how to meet a tough challenge successfully and win great victories. He spoke of the country's courage, unity, and sense of purpose, and how those teams' great players exemplified these heroic traits. Pirate Hall of Famer Roberto Clemente dying in a plane crash trying to deliver aid to earthquake survivors in his native Nicaragua on New Year's Eve 1973, and Steelers running back Rocky Blyer, who, after suffering combat injuries in Vietnam, returned to the Steelers in 1971 and earned four Super Bowl rings in the next 10 years. Carter's pitch didn't work, but the tradition he started became a regular occurrence during the tenure of his successor. If ever there were someone capable of initiating the marriage between sports and White House politics, it was Ronald Reagan, a sports announcer, college football player, and an actor who made a campaign applause line out of a single sentence from the script of his movie, Newt Rockne All-American. From his deathbed, Notre Dame football star George Gibb, portrayed by Reagan, told Rockne that if he ever needed to inspire his team, to tell them, win one for the Gipper. One of the best performances Reagan gave came during the New York Giants visit in 1987. The actor in him took over when he decided he would parody the team's season-long victory celebration, dousing head coach Bill Parcells with Gatorade as the clock hit triple zeros. Here comes Harry Carson now. He's looking for the Gatorade. Everybody is staying in his stadium. He's got it. Parcells is up there without the headset, and they get him. The call there from the end of the Super Bowl, courtesy of CBS Sports. Reagan took a cooler full of popcorn down to the White House lawn, and seeing that Harry Carson had his back turned, he dumped the popcorn on Carson's head. However, Carson noticed the cooler was still half full when Reagan put it down, and to peals of laughter all around, he picked it up and returned the favor. It's wonderful to have you all here. Nancy was going to invite you to my birthday party last week, but when I mentioned the way you like to celebrate, she said she didn't think that wearing Gatorade was presidential. <laughs> 
audio from the Giants' 1987 visit to the White House is courtesy of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. None of Reagan's successors shared his taste for prop comedy, but they otherwise followed his script outline, offering their congratulations and praise, making lighthearted jokes at the visiting team's expense, and poking fun of themselves. The New York Giants played great football this year, but they also had fun. That kind of spirit has always marked the great Giants teams. That's why our fans have been so, or your fans, I should say, have been so loyal for so many years. I don't have many fans anymore. <laughs> for the entire season, everybody in America, especially the last month or so, wanted Michigan and Nebraska to meet. I'm the only person who could pull it off. <laughs> Since the sun is out, we ought to just go outside and settle the whole thing. For those of you who don't know, the Warriors started the season without Coach Kerr, who was recovering from back surgery, so Luke Walton stepped up and led the team to a ridiculous 39-4 record. Unfortunately, the NBA won't let Luke count those wins as his own. Man, that doesn't seem fair. <laughs> you defied the cynics, you accomplished big things, you racked up a great record, and you don't get enough credit. We welcome Japan's Dice K here to the South Lawn. His press corps is bigger than mine. Both have trouble answering questions in English. <laughs> These same presidents were also happy to show they could take a joke, be it Bill Clinton, whose remarks there are courtesy of the William J. Clinton Presidential Library, or Barack Obama, an avowed Chicago White Sox fan, who in the waning days of his presidency found himself presiding over another historical first, a White House visit from the world champion Chicago Cubs. I've never really had the opportunity to stand such a prestigious man, and he means a lot to the, to the country. And, you know, when Scotty starts to talk about his relationship with his homeboy, you know, I, I live in Chicago now, and Mrs. Clinton is from Chicago, so I think I have more insight to a lot of the decision-making than <laughs> Scotty. So. We know you may have certain allegiances to, to another team on the other side of town, but we know you're a very proud Chicagoan, and we know you're a better, wiser half. The First Lady has been a lifelong <laughs> and very loyal Cub fan, which we appreciate very much. And of course, we have great faith in your intelligence, your common sense, your pragmatism, your ability to recognize a good thing when you see one. <laughs> so Mr. President, with only a few days remaining in your tremendous presidency, we have taken the liberty here today of offering you a midnight pardon. <laughs> for all your indiscretions as a baseball fan. And so we welcome you with open arms today into the Cubs family. <laughs> Historian William B. Bushong told the New York Times in 2010 that the round-the-clock sports coverage that started with ESPN changed the expectations Americans have of their presidents, that they'll also be diehard sports fans. George W. Bush certainly was one, having been the managing partner of the Texas Rangers before running for governor of Texas in 1994. When the Anaheim Angels visited the White House in 2002, he reminisced about how some of them had been with the Rangers during his tenure particularly a then-fresh-faced rookie named Benji Gill. Commenting on Gill's 2002 look, Bush said, It's amazing what facial hair does. He also spoke of his sports background when the Miami Heat visited in 2007 after winning the NBA championship. This is the Miami Heat's first NBA championship. I congratulate you on a tremendous achievement, even though you beat a Texas team. <laughs> As you know, I used to be in pro sports. I never had the pleasure of winning anything. <laughs> Must be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. 
Though they shared little else, Bush's successor, Barack Obama, enjoyed the pageantry of having some great sports teams visit the White House. This is as much fun as I will have as President of the United States, right here. This, this is one of the perks of the job, right here. And just as Bush reveled most in baseball, Obama did so with basketball and some of its biggest personalities. On a play called Nova, Chris took a pass from Arch and pulled up a few steps behind the line and, and shot this team into basketball lore. That was a good shot. <laughs> you know, it, it was like a Christian Leitner shot. It was like a Jimmy V running up and down the court shot. Charles Barkley apparently jumped out of his seat, which <laughs> he doesn't do very often these days. Draymond Green showing us heart over height every single night. Draymond's also known to add a few more words that I cannot repeat. <laughs> it's not just Steph. There's the other splash brother, Clay, who dropped 37 points in a quarter, and whose jump shot is actually a little prettier. I heard during this summer, after our golf game, that Steph was using the excuse of Secret Service being intimidating for why he lost <laughs> the match. <laughs> that is not the case. <laughs> Two years later, Villanova coach Jay Wright would call the visit the experience of a lifetime. Listening to Draymond Green and Stephen Curry speak to ESPN about their White House visit with President Obama, it's clear the admiration, respect, and good-natured ribbing between president and athlete was mutual. It was amazing to be in the White House with President Obama, to be in his element. It was incredible. When he referred to you as heart over height, those are pretty cool words. It's very cool because that's how I've always viewed it. You know, uh, my mom used to always say that to me, you know, heart over height, it don't, you know, as you, long as you got the heart, it don't matter what height you are. And for him to use that reference, it was special because that's what I embody. That's what I'm all about. For him to say that, it also lets me know that he definitely pays attention to the game. For what President Obama means for our country and just the story of his journey and for him to be up on the podium and, and acknowledge our accomplishments and talk a little bit about us uh, our personalities and stuff that he knows about it's it's, it's just surreal and something that uh, i remember for a long time on the flight home what do you think you guys will talk about the most whose jump shot's prettier me or clays i hadn't heard that one before the president said it i can't argue with the president right presidential visits haven't always gone so smoothly President George H.W. Bush was the first to open the White House doors to the Stanley Cup champions, inviting the Pittsburgh Penguins in 1991. Meeting the second most famous hockey player in the world at that time, Bush turned to Mario Lemieux and said, And you are? That may or may not have been as embarrassing as when 49ers assistant coach Mike Holmgren brought his daughter to the White House for Super Bowl celebration. While shaking hands with Holmgren, Bush said, Mike, you like him kind of young, huh? First Lady Barbara Bush intervened, saying, George, that's his daughter. At least he recognized Holmgren on site. When the 1991 Chicago Bulls visited the White House, Michael Jordan was noticeably absent, saying he'd rather play golf. He wasn't alone in not going to the White House. Larry Bird didn't attend after the Celtics won the NBA championship in 1984, telling reporters Reagan would know where to find him. There have been others who've skipped out, whether they said it was for family reasons, previous engagements, or political differences. Whether it was Baltimore Ravens' Matt Burke, who said he disagreed with President Obama's stance on Planned Parenthood, or Boston Bruins goalie Tim Thomas, who wrote on Facebook that the federal government is out of control, threatening Americans' rights, liberty, and property. 
but no player has had a more impactful visit than the Bulls' Craig Hodges, who showed up to the 1992 ceremony wearing a white dashiki. After showing off his three-point shot in front of President Bush, Hodges took the opportunity to slip a letter to the President. Here, he reads the letter, 26 years later, for the Showtime series, Shut Up and Dribble. Mr. President, the athletes from the Chicago Bulls number 12, 10 of whom are of the descendants of African slaves, I have taken on the responsibility to speak on behalf of those who are not able to be heard from where they are. We have a sector of our population that is being described as an endangered species, i.e. the young black man. The question must be asked, why is the condition of the inner cities around the country in a state of emergency because of wanton violence, lack of jobs, or drugs? It is very important that the citizens of this great nation make a determination of what side of history we will be on in this most critical hour. Hodges, who was 32 at the time and one of the best three-point shooters in NBA history, never played another game in the league. Shortly after the visit, the Bulls released him. He figured another team would ask after his services, but his phone never rang. Former Los Angeles Laker Byron Scott, whose NBA career overlapped with Hodges, explicitly told Showtime something Hodges only hinted at when he told Boston radio station WBUR this story two years ago. Scott said, all of us at that time thought he was being blackballed from the NBA. Now, every decision about attending the White House is as fraught as Hodges's was more than a quarter century ago. President Trump telegraphed how problematic a visit to his White House would be long before he became president. He's long claimed President Obama wasn't born in the U.S., but in Africa. As a presidential candidate in 2016, this is how he addressed 49ers QB Colin Kaepernick taking a knee during the national anthem when Kaepernick said he wouldn't stand for the flag of a country that oppresses black people and people of color, Trump called his actions horrible and told Seattle talk show host Dory Monson that Kaepernick should find another country that works better for him. Of the 11 major sports champions who have not visited the Trump White House, none was more famously disinvited than the Golden State Warriors in 2017. That happened shortly after Stephen Curry had this to say when asked if his team would go. I don't want to go. That's really it. I mean, that's kind of my my that's the the nucleus of my belief, and I think for it is different. It's not just me going to the White House. If it was, this would be a pretty short conversation. Upon hearing that Trump had disinvited the Warriors, LeBron James posted a tweet calling Trump a bum and adding that going to the White House had been a great honor until Trump got there. That tweet was liked more than 1.4 million times and retweeted more than 600,000 times. The tweet was posted the same day Trump made a speech in Alabama before thousands of cheering rally-goers in which he trotted out his famous apprentice catchphrase. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He's fired! That's a total disrespect of our heritage. That's a total disrespect of everything that we stand for, okay? everything that we stand for. Two weeks later, Vice President Mike Pence went to and then left an Indianapolis Colts game before kickoff, tweeting later that he and Trump wouldn't dignify any event that disrespects American soldiers, the flag, or the national anthem. Trump later said he told Pence to leave if any player kneeled during the anthem. Though the New England Patriots visit the White House after their Super Bowl 51 victory, several players declined to go, citing President Trump as their reason. The following year, the Philadelphia Eagles, 
whose roster included many players supportive of Kaepernick's cause, were disinvited after it became clear that only two or three of them would actually attend. After extending the disinvitation, Trump tweeted about players wanting to show their outrage at something most couldn't define, adding that they should be suspended without pay for not standing for the national anthem. On CNN, former NFL player Dante Stallworth laid the lie to Trump's assertion. Two Eagles fans and Philadelphia residents, Stacey Tart and Andrew Bianco, both told the Washington Post they were fine with the Eagles' decision not to go to the White House. I think everyone knew that the president was going to say something about players kneeling. He expects them to take a backseat and turn a blind eye to all the racial inequalities that are going on in this country. When you look at the people who are um, in, in prisons today, uh, close to 60% of, of the prison population are people of color. And these are the things that the players have protested. Um, and this is what they've been talking about. They are eloquent and articulate, and they've explicitly said why they are protesting. He has not been paying attention at all. And he does not show that same type of ire that he draws towards the NFL players as he does, or as he has shown to the white nationalists who marched in Charlottesville killing a young lady and uh, just a number of other things that are unacceptable in this country today where they're yelling and screaming Jews will not replace us. I mean, is that the type of country that we want to live in? I think they shouldn't go to White House. I think the Eagles, they, they did a good thing and they actually stood for the city and we're real in Philadelphia. Honestly, the anthem to us as a young black man, it's not about football. It was about the injustice done to a lot of minorities and stuff that's going on in the country. It wasn't um, to slight anybody who was a veteran at all. Well, I think it's their right to do what they want to do. If you want to stand, you want to kneel, I mean, it's up to you. That's what America's about. In the NFL, the opposition has largely been player-led, often against the wishes of coaches and management. That has not been the case in the NBA. Commissioner Adam Silver has tacitly supported players using their platform to speak on public issues. And several head coaches have been vocally critical of the president, like the Spurs' Greg Popovich, a former Air Force officer, and Warriors coach Steve Kerr, who had this to say when asked about his team visiting the White House. The president made it really, really difficult for us to honor that institution. And our differences, I think, in terms of our team and our organization's values are so dramatically different. I'm talking in terms of inclusion and, and civil discourse and dignity. And it's hard for us every day. You know, we're seeing the things he's saying. I thought yesterday his comments about the NFL players was as bad as anything he has said to this point. So it's awful. You're talking about young men who are peacefully protesting police brutality and racism, racial inequality, peacefully protesting hallmarks of our country. Unfortunately, outside of basketball, there's been much less willingness to meet politics head on. Like Ronald Reagan, Donald Trump has an eye for prop theater. Only here, the athletes are the props, something Pittsburgh reporters asked Penguin star Sidney Crosby specifically about. From my side of things, it's, there's absolutely no politics involved. So, uh, you know, hopefully it's, it stays that way. And, um, you know, it's a visit that we've, we've done in the past and uh, it's been a good experience, but um, yeah, it's, it's not about politics, that's for sure. While it's easy to bash Crosby for accepting the invitation, as some of his fellow Canadians did, my more direct ire is focused on two college football coaches, Clemson's Dabo Sweeney, who told his players to put the political stuff aside, and Nick Saban of Alabama, who according to one of his players, gave his 2017 squad a mandate to attend, telling them 
we're doing this regardless of your political thoughts. Worst of all, though, is Boston Red Sox chairman Tom Warner, who called the event apolitical. This after the team's manager, Alex Cora, a native Puerto Rican, said he wouldn't go to the White House because of how Trump has handled aid to his country following Hurricane Maria in 2017. This is about human beings and uh, you know the people that went through this, they know what happened. To be tweeting about 3,000 people and be efficient and it's actually disrespectful for, for my country. We see it that way. Cora was joined by at least nine of his players, but Warner and some other Red Sox players did go. Werner later said he didn't consider his players' attendance mandatory and didn't view the event as a racial divide, adding that those people who wanted to come were invited to join. Of course, those like Werner, Saban, and Sweeney can put the political stuff aside. Trump's broadsides, attacks, and tweet storms aren't directed at them, but in so doing, they're unnecessarily helping to make minorities, who Trump says should stay in their lane and be grateful they even have a job, the ones responsible for wiping out the blight of racial animus on which Trump has built his political career. In case you were wondering though, what are those who skip these White House visits missing? Representative Kevin Brady, where's Kevin? Where's Kevin? Kevin, are we going for an additional tax cut, I understand? Uh -huh. He's the king of those tax cuts, yep. We're gonna do a phase two, I'm hearing that. You hear that, John and Ted? Phase two. We've never had a stronger military right now. This is the strongest it's been. $716 billion we spent last year, John. That's a lot of money. And who could forget the amazing Jose Altuve? Where's Jose? He's much taller than I thought. Self-aggrandizement, belittling jokes, and Trump taking every opportunity to bask in the reflected glory of the good championship-winning athlete. One could argue that has been the case since 1980. The presidents invite championship teams to the White House for the purpose of associating themselves with winners, when Jimmy Carter invited the Steelers and Pirates at the start of his re-election campaign. However, it cannot be argued that the definition of champion and the good athlete have concretely changed. Carter spoke of the courage and the true heroism of Roberto Clemente dying in the service of his country and Rocky Blyer being badly wounded in the Vietnam War while serving his. Carter's successors from Reagan through Obama used these events to show that they cared about and were invested in sports as much as the rest of their fellow Americans. They stressed the fun of sports, the hard work of becoming a champion, and that even the president can take a joke. Not Donald Trump. His idea of sports is to provoke, to stand against the majority to win the undying ardor of a smaller group, and to either blame any and everybody else when things don't go his way, or refuse to accept the results. For him, there is always an I in team. Donald Trump certainly never speaks about the joy of sports, except for his own golf scores. He does not talk about the hard work of becoming a champion. He just blusters in self-service to his own ego. And, judging by his attendance at, in reaction to, the White House Correspondents' Dinner, he most certainly can't take a joke. This episode of Wrecking the Toy Department was voiced, written, produced, and edited by me, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening. <laughs>